Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. Okay, welcome to the uh, podcast here this week. Um, so, uh, so really, really excited about this uh, about what we're going to be doing here today because we're going to look at uh, women in you know in ROTC, the service academies, and also as a career uh, military. Uh, Very exciting. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then, and so, uh, you know, we're looking particularly today at Air Force. So <clears throat> obviously, you know, Trish has got, you know, a great career as a, as a uh, intelligence officer in the uh, Air Force and, and now soon to be the Air Force Reserve. And, and she'll introduce our, um, our, our special guest here today, who's uh, Air Force uh, fighter pilot. And so Trish, I guess, how's, how's things going down in Florida with you? Things are great. Just enjoying January. January's nice in Florida. See, we're all, all three of us are in nice areas of the country here. So not, not up in North Dakota. <laughs> At least during the winter we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Summertime is uh, maybe a little bit more, more challenging. So, so this, so rather than, you know, just, we can talk uh, probably about the weather all day here, but I wanted just to kind of just get going here with, you know, kind of talking about this great subject. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and have you kind of take the lead here and, kind of talk about this and introduce our uh, our guest for today. Wonderful. I'm so excited to introduce one of my really good friends, Major Valerie Wetzberger. Uh, we served together for two years in Idaho from 2015 to 2016. And she has uh, such an interesting perspective and just one of my mentors, even though I call her a close friend. So um, Valerie, welcome to the show. And can you tell us a little bit about um, your career and where where you started off? I know you commissioned in 2006 from OSU, the OSU. <laughs> <laughs> right. The Ohio State University. Thanks, Trish. Yeah. Um, it's It'll be fun to be on and I'm excited uh, for our discussion. Um, as far as my career and just I'll put a little bit of a slant on it based on the fact that I was, I'm a woman based on uh, this being kind of a podcast from a woman's perspective. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so just for everyone's, you know, as a baseline, I went to a public school in Ohio um, and then I uh, applied to, was nominated and accepted at the Air Force and Naval Academies. and um, it kind of helped propel me through high school and keep me on the right path. But ultimately, um, I was offered a full Air Force RTC scholarship to an engineering program at the Ohio State University. And so I ended up accepting that, uh, never looked back and I was okay with that. Um, I still very much respect those that went to the academies and I completely understand what it takes to go through that, um, especially the application process. So, uh, you know, with all the interviews and um, it definitely helped me focus and realize what my strengths were and how to kind of sell myself to a group of, you know, men and women who are trying to, you know, look for the best in our, our uh, future, uh, future military. So from there, um, I was accepted as a uh, pilot candidate. Basically, I went to undergraduate pilot training at Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma um, for T sixes and then T 38s And, um, I can get into more of what those mean later, but, uh, basically trainer aircraft. And then 
and turned what, right around. Oh, go ahead. When you went through that that process, how many other women were there with you? Um, in RTC, of course, there were many. I had a lot of great friends there uh, at school. And then when I flipped around to go to undergraduate pilot training, it was probably, I think there were three or four of us in my UPT class out of, um, about 15. Uh, and then we would split into two flights from that. And, um, but most of them, I think I was the only one that went fighters, um, so T38 training, and then the rest of them, uh, went to T1 training, which was, um, you know, heavy training, which is like tankers and bombers and that type of thing. Yeah. So would you say that there's typically more women in, in the, in the non-fighter community? Yes, there are more women in the non-fighter community. Uh, so they definitely have a little bit more support there, which is uh, understandable. Does that make you tighter in in the community that you're in because of the fact that there's less women or how does that work? I think at first uh, it it didn't, but in our in the fighter community, they've actually uh, there's a group called the Chick Fighter Pilot Association. Um, they've they've realized how few and far between uh, fighter girls are or fighter women, and so they've kind of banded together and over the years they get together, you know, annually and they've really become a group of people I recognize and respect and they've yeah. paved the way for, you know, such a small, small, uh, amount of us. <laughs> what a great community to have. Yeah. That, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so then, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, of course. So then I went on to, um, become an instructor pilot there as a T6 instructor at Vance and I think I would say as a woman, that was probably my most challenging um, assignment. But I did have incredible, uh, mostly for just kind of getting used to a lot of different attitudes about women. Um, it wasn't all just fighter guys or, you know, um, cargo or tanker guys. Uh, most of my peers, you know, were diverse throughout the different communities. So they all had kind of a different perspective on um, a woman being there. So when you talk about the different perspective, what would you say the average perspective was? And then can you give an example of, of something that you dealt with, you know, to give an example of like the worst case scenario? Yep. So the average perspective I would say is, you know, as long as you pull your own weight and you are just as knowledgeable as the next guy or girl, (laughs) you, um, you are just as respected and that's what you kind of see. I, I would probably say in the civilian world, I'd venture to yeah, say as well, I, I but saw the same thing in Intel too. Yeah. Like everywhere you go, um, you still have to show up, prove yourself. What you did before isn't necessarily going to hold you through what you're doing now. Nobody really cares where you came from. They just want to see, uh, you know, results. results from what you're doing now. So you always kind of have to roll in and prove yourself. Um, and it's not an obvious thing. It's more like you keep your head down, you do your job well, and at, you know, give it a, a couple months. You're not the shiny new penny anymore. Yeah. And and people treat you the same as everybody else. So, <laughs> and just for reference, what year were you an instructor pilot? I know I'm going to make you reach way back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was an instructor from 2007 to 2011. Okay. And I think you know, we had some Marines in there, some Navy. So we had the gamut, but I would give one example 
that surprised me, honestly, um, to make a long story short, we do, you know, naming. So as people know, fighter pilots and a lot of pilots have call signs. Um, and so we kind of mimicked that in the um, undergraduate pilot training community. And so we would all get named um, as our, especially because we were first assignment instructor pilots. So we all hadn't gone out into the combat air force yet. Um, so during my naming, uh, at this point, I was well-respected, I thought, and um, had been doing all the same as all the other guys. Uh, and anyway, I, we came out of that, and they ended up calling me Matsu, which meant men are talking, shut up. And oh, no. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Like, I took it as a huge blow, um, and I, I didn't understand why. So I kind of I had the weekend to process it, and I was like, you know what? fine, they can call me that, but I'm not going to accept it. <laughs> it. You know, I just, I wasn't, I, I didn't think that that was appropriate for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I showed up on Monday, uh, fully expecting people to start calling me Matsu. And the first person I see is actually, he was a previous fighter guy. He was at the end of the hallway and we started walking toward each other. And I was like, just getting ready. You know, I was a little bit bristled, getting ready for him to say like, morning Matsu, you know? And, um, and he said, Hey Val, how you doing? I said, uh, uh, "What? I'm I'm doing I'm doing okay." You know, of course I was I was a little on edge, and uh, he pulled me into one of the classrooms and he said, "Look, like I'm so sorry what happened. I don't think that it was right, and uh, I'm going to do what I can to get you renamed because that doesn't fit you. That's not right." And I could not believe that I had such a strong male ally. And thank God because at that time I didn't really feel like I could you know, stand up to the masses. I didn't really know who was on my side. So I think um, in that way, you know, you see the kind of sexism there, you know, and stupidity and groupthink there. But (laughs) then you turn around and you realize like there are people on your side. And, um, you know, since there's not a lot of women around, sometimes the men are your, your, you know, your best allies. Yeah. And doesn't that just instill confidence that men we'll do that, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I was so grateful for that because nowadays I think I'd be able to stand up for myself, but, uh, you know, in my twenties, it wasn't as easy. Um, cause you, you're not so used to being sexually harassed or in that case, you know, just kind of put in a place that you didn't think you deserved Yeah, and you need some mentors to help take care and look out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, from there I ended up, um, learning how to fly. So after I finished as my instructor pilot tour in the T6, by the way, I ended up getting called rogue, (laughs) which was much better. I have a gray streak in my hair. So that's probably why. (laughs) Um, I went to go fly the F-15E for six years. I ended up learning how to fly it in North Carolina. And then I went to England and Idaho with two combat deployments. And the amount of women in those um, it's still minimal. It's about 10%. I remember in one briefing, I kind of, there was like about a hundred people and I looked around and there were about 10 women. Um, but that included WIZOs, uh, which are weapon systems officers. officers. Yep. And Intel officers. So still not many other female pilots necessarily, but there were, you know, more females to kind of be friends with and talk to and close doors and be like, Hey, you know, 
how you doing with this? <laughs> and for our, that second combat deployment that you just mentioned, that was where we met and became yeah. close. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I, I so don't know what I would have done without you guys. <laughs> I think there were five of us there total. Mm-hmm. It was me as the intelligence officer and then four other pilots or whizzos. Yep. And uh, just definitely very valuable time with yes. you guys. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, when you get started, like I was always kind of got along with guys better in high school and college. I think we all kind of did. And then you start to realize like now having been in for about 16 or so years, I, I look around and my best friends are women that I've met through the military. (laughs) Yeah, And it's, it's pretty cool. uh, The connections you make because you know, I love hanging out with the guys and being part of the squadron, but it's fun when, you know, you can reach back to the other ladies and be like, Hey, how are you dealing with this? Is this right? You know, and you have that, those friends to lean back on. So since you've been in for 16 years at this point, I know we haven't gotten to the last part of your career yet, but, um, things have changed in terms of your relationships with a lot of your men peers. Now, now you have men subordinates. Mm-hmm. And how has that, how does that work? Do you feel like you're able to um, succeed as a female leader? Like, do you think that people pay you the same heed that they pay uh, your male counterparts? Um, So let me correct myself. It's been almost 15 years. Sorry about that. Um, No worries. The, I think, yeah, male subordinates, um, male peers, to be honest, and I've got to credit the women, uh, and, and the men, honestly, who came before. So, you know, I have not had it as hard as, you know, the women that have paved the way and they probably didn't have it as hard as the women (laughs) before them. Very true. Um, So I feel very lucky to follow in their footsteps because, I feel like, like I said, as soon as you, you know, enter a new assignment or even enter a new squadron, you have to, you know, do your best. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect because nobody is. And honestly, this, this, what I'm about to say applies to men and women, but you show up, you keep your head down, you do your best. You don't say, well, when I was doing this or when, when, when I was doing that, you know, like (laughs) nobody cares about what you just did. They just care about how you're performing now. Um, and it doesn't mean to say that that experience didn't make you who you are and give you that, those good lessons learned. But I, I truly think that you show up, you, um, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from other people's mistakes and you, um, you share those lessons learned with everybody so that nobody continues to make those same mistakes and you continue to grow your team because you're not doing any of this alone. Even as fighter pilots, we fly maybe single seat or two people in a jet, but nothing is done alone. We always have wingmen and you always want to make your team as good as you, you or the best person in that team can be. So as long as you go in with that perspective, then people start to see that you're a team player and you're worthy of their respect. And at that point, I've not had any real issues um, based on the fact that I'm a woman. Now, you know, people might not agree with the way I lead this or that or the other, but I've also found that kind of being open to feedback and 
receptive instead of um, you know, hostile. Hostile. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I'm not a one woman uh, band, you know, everyone, everyone has a say. And if you're the leader, then you're, yep, you get to make the decision ultimately. But now let me ask having you that input is, is essential. <laughs> you almost, it's almost like from my experience as well, there's an awareness though, that um, you have this, like you are a woman and it's important to be open to feedback almost more so because of that. Do you think that men have the same ability to accept feedback? Do you think that there's a tendency for women to be more open to feedback or, or, or what have you seen in terms of that? You know, that's really interesting because I, this, um, last, probably the coolest thing I've done in the air force so far, uh, and that's be the director of operations for, um, the fighter squadron here at Luke. So that's number two air force base, command, right? Right. Number two in command for the squadron. So it's a group of about, you know, 30 pilots or so. Um, and my commander is a male and he, um, he has set such an incredible example for me as far as, you know, how to be receptive to feedback, but also then, you know, his perspective is you take in all the information that you can, and then, uh, you make the best decision with the information that you have. You will never have hundred percent of the information, but it doesn't mean that you, you know, you shouldn't listen to the, uh, opinions and the, really the story of the, the people that you are serving and leading because they're the ones who are going to kind of have the repercussions of those actions as well. For instance, some of the leaders that I didn't appreciate so much in the Air Force were the ones who jumped to a conclusion. So something happened, maybe it was airborne. And before you even got down, they had already made up their mind about what had happened and were ready to punish. And mm. the, you know, everyone appreciates the opportunity to have their voice heard. And sometimes that's all they need is to just have their voice heard, whether or not, heard. you know, we need to follow what they think should happen. <laughs> that's yeah. another story. Just, just to have the platform to voice the opinion. Exactly. Yeah. So you try to take the time to do that and uh, yeah, and you go from there. But I don't think that um, being a woman has affected that for me in my squadron. Now, other women might have been in different squadrons. I, Sorry, one more example. I will give you an example of um, in the Strike Eagle, I had, I was in a squadron where the DO got pregnant. And by the way, I was pregnant for half of my um, time as the DO, the director of operations. But this previous squadron I was in. Wait, was wait, wait, wait. A... Let's talk about how pregnant you are right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Um, nine months pregnant. So only a couple of days from giving birth. <laughs> so and and honestly, the guys in the squadron have been all like uncles to us, uh, you know, supportive and trying to, you know, letting me do my job, but also, you know, super excited for, um, the birth of a new, you know, squadron member. <laughs> not only are you the DO, so number two of a squadron, nine months pregnant, but your husband is also a pilot as well. Yep. Correct. Yes. Yep. So, um, and both first time parents. So, and luckily this squadron were able to, you know, family is so, so important. And, you know, as would you say uh, that's a trend that you've seen throughout your whole career is an importance placed on family? Yes, there is a huge importance placed on family. But 
as always, you know, the needs of, I would say the needs of the military. So, you know, there's service, there's family. Um, but if you don't take care of the people, then everything else will fall apart. The The problem is, is when you're deployed, you know, you're deployed or you're in a location overseas or you're in a combat unit, then sometimes, you know, you need to be on call and it's not the family doesn't come first, but it's definitely has to take, you know, a backseat to the service that you've signed up for. And I think everybody understands that. So, um, but this squadron is definitely more family focused because we're not being deployed because we're training new fighter pilots. Yeah. And if I can bring you in on this, Rob, too, what, what would you say your perspective has been in terms of how, um, the whole family, women having kids in the military has changed from when you were first in to, to when you retired? Yeah. So, uh, my, my background was I, uh, I was in from, uh, 1988 to, uh, 2013. So I had 26 years, uh, in service. And, uh, you know, when I started out, when I was, when I went to West Point in 1984, we were only eight years from when women were allowed in the academies. So, I mean, this was, you know, not very much time. I mean, yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I echo Vale's, um, you know, observation. I, th- I think that, you know, that there has been just a tremendous, you know, uh, uh, progression, I think, in a positive manner with the acceptance of women in all positions in in all of the, all of the services uh, that I think is, you know, that it's been incremental in its change and probably not as not as much progression as some people, I think, you know, women would like it to be. Uh, but I think there has been this improvement, uh, which really, when I was first in, I think was just things that were done would not even be acceptable today, uh, would be considered to be, uh, uh, just, uh, criminal in its, in, in what happened, uh, you know, when what I a great was, shift. You know, which is really, which is a nice shift, but I mean, still, there's a lot to be done. And I think, you know, we'll certainly, you know, I think from all of us, all three of us being officers, uh, you know, can probably talk frankly about, you know, this, the work that still needs to be done in regards to, you know, uh, advancing women's rights and all of the services. I think, you know, from a sense of, uh, I'd say, and I'll try, I'll get to your answer, Trish, about the family, sure, but course. just listening to you, got to you all, all talk. Um, I think there's always been this perception about the Air Force as being perhaps the most female-friendly of the services. Uh, at least that's always been my perspective on it. I think, you know, particularly with the Army, you know, there's been kind of this, you know, brute force, uh, you know, infantry combat arms kind of mentality where it's been close to women or not, you know, or, you know, there's been a lot of resistance to having women. And I think there's been a lot of hidebound kind of attitudes that have been allowed to fester in the army versus say maybe the air force where, um, where I think there's been perhaps more progression in in that regard. Uh, so that's, I think just a, one of my observations about the difference and is it differences in the services. And, and when Val talks about the progression needed, you know, that made in the air force, I think that, you know, 
folks in the army and I think Navy uh, can learn a lot from you know some of the great things that the Air Force has been doing in, in regarding to moving this ball forward. As far as family goes, it's Val, I think, hit it right on the head. I, I think it's has to do with you know mission accomplishment. And I, I while I do think there's been a lot some progress moving forward on the family issue, I still think there's a lot of tension there uh, with trying to balance your career with, you know, with, you know, with being able to like to have a family or have a child sure. like Val in Val's position right now, I can tell you that, you know, that's similar to say, you know, second in command of a battalion in the army. And I can't, you know, and that's a significant, you know, career position to be able to be promoted to senior ranks in the, in the army, as well as the air force. So, you know, how do you balance that with, you know, what, you know, with your, you know, your duties as a mom, you know, and as a, you know, future mom and, and being able to do your job and all of those things. And I'm just not fully convinced that the military's gotten it, gotten it right yet. So, um, that's sort of my take on it, you know, and, and I, of course I'm in the listening mode mostly today, but that's my, you know, kind of sensing right now, kind of where we're at in 2021. Yeah. And specifically going from 88 to when you went back to West Point as an instructor, did you notice any changes towards the female cadets? Yeah, in, in well, it was, it was about eight years. Uh, more females were there. It was about ten percent when I was there in in eighty four to eighty eight. I think it was going up to like fifteen, maybe fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent. Wow. And now and just, we're, we're to clarify, we're at twenty four percent now for West. Point. Right. So I think that's a good thing. I think that you know increasing the percentage uh, then you know, kind of creates less of a marginalization of, uh, females in, you know, and I think Val being, you know, that 10%, you know, person, you know, being a fighter, I think she probably would agree that, you know, if it was up to 20 or even 30%, that the whole complexion would change of the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be incredible. But yeah. And honestly, I don't think it's because people aren't, are telling women that they can't be fighter pilots. I think, for some reason, there's some kind of stigma for women to want to be fighter pilots. And I'm not quite sure where that lies exactly. Maybe we're not recruiting well enough. Or so what I love is that we're starting to see, you know, a little bit more diversified uh, commercials and that type of thing. But I, I don't want it to be a lie either because, you know, you go walk into a fighter squadron and yes, you're going to see a lot of white men, but that that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means we love to have more women. Like <laughs> we love to have more diversity. And That's great. But they yeah. just like anything else, you know, if, if you are able to do the job skillfully, yes, bring it on. We, we love to have you. Um, and you've got to enjoy it and you've got to want the lifestyle. Yeah. And that's Val. That's what I mean. When you say skillfully, you know, when you talk about being a fighter pilot, you don't need to last thing, time I checked, you don't need to be, you know, be able to lift 300 pounds over your head or no. do any of the things <laughs> like that. So there should be nothing that would, you know, that no matter what, you know, male or female, you should be able to do. And then and that includes a lot of jobs in the, in the army also are not, uh, required to, you know, for any physical, uh, you know, for, to physicality to a degree that, you know, where it's, where, you know, would disqualify somebody, right. you know, from being able to do the job. And to be frank, I mean, the only time as an officer that I, you know, was maybe taxed because I was a field artillery officer, you know, working with the infantry was perhaps when I was a lieutenant. But then after I got through my lieutenant years, 
uh, I wasn't doing any heavy lifting anymore or things like that. Uh, so, you know, the reality is even, you know, in a service like the army or Marine Corps or whatever you might call it, uh, let's be frank as an officer, you know, there's, there's probably no reason why any, uh, area should be closed to women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting with the changes that they made towards the the jobs in 2015 that were previously closed off to women. Uh, now, you know, a lot of those have been lifted. And um, I think they recently just did an update in 2000 to see how everyone was doing. And a lot of progress has been made except for in the Marine Corps, which makes sense based on the stereotypes and the mentalities that the Marine Corps has been known for. Yeah. And, and then it's a question of, you know, the percentages, you know, because Val talked about, you know, 10% and how, you know, she felt like, you know, you were, you know, kind of isolated and kind of a you know small grouping. I mean, imagine trying to, you know, become an infantry officer in the Marine Corps or the Army or something like that, where, you know, you're 1%. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how do, how do you make progress in, 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 in that way? Yeah. You know? And when you look at the overall representation uh, by service and rank of women, you know, this, these numbers are from 2018, but um, for the Air Force, 21% of the officers are enlisted or our officers are women. So 21% women and 20% for the enlisted side of the house. But again, when you think about it's not balanced. So not every career field is going to have 21% officers being women. So, you know, you have the, um, flyers and the fighter pilots who are 10% or less. And then there's other career fields that are more dominated by women, like your, your, more your support functions. So it, it is going to depend on what career field you choose in each branch. But going back to, um, the, when I started thinking about this topic, I wanted to write down some traits that I thought would make a successful leader, you know, and, and a successful officer, woman officer. And I started to realize that I don't think that these just apply to women. <laughs> I think they yeah. apply, apply to everybody. But the, the confidence and the ability to persevere through those comments and through those scenarios, you know, every, everyone is going to have to have that type of perseverance, um, the, the dedication to, to the service and the ability to maintain composure and level headedness. Mm -hmm. I think that's especially important for women because, you know, we have the, that stereotype that we're more emotional and it is interesting, you know, succeeding in a, in a masculine dominated, um, type of environment, how do you maintain your femininity and how do you keep that sense of self, but at the same time support the mission? And for me, it, it it's always been about the little stuff. And, and even if that's just, you know, wearing mascara so that I still feel like a girl, but then putting on my professional face and when, you know, going to work as Captain Penrod and fitting in with my male peers, um, Val, what it, do you, what do you think about that, about keeping your femininity? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, I always just say, do your best and it will be recognized. Um, you may not see it right off the bat, but you don't have to compare yourself to anyone else. So just 
be yourself, strive to learn from you and your other and others mistakes and share your lessons learned, be better than you were yesterday. And as a woman, I've seen plenty of women who feel like they have to be a guy to be one of the guys and they truly don't. Guys like having, you know, women as part of their team. Uh, We bring a different perspective and honestly, sometimes they don't know when they're being crass. And so sometimes you just got to tell them like, look, that was way over the line. And maybe it's in a private conversation. Trust me, they're going to have more respect for you for telling them that than uh, if you just, you know, sat there quietly and stewed about it. Um, Isn't it also so- important to have the rapport with them to begin with, you know, so you don't just like right. bust into a new office and start changing things. You slowly over time yes, build absolutely. that rapport and then you have the conversation on the side. Yeah. I mean, it's just like making a friend, you know, you first, you just kind of decide how you feel about them, how they feel about you. And, <laughs> and, and you work together to, uh, to find where you bond. And, you know, sometimes that takes going through a struggle to finally get that good working relationship going. So, I mean, just like anything else, it takes time. But as far as keeping your femininity, like I said, guys like women working with women most of the time. Um, and especially, I like to say, you know, especially if they're a father or uh, coming from a perspective like that. I don't know many dads nowadays who aren't pushing for their daughters to be just as good, if not better than, you know, to grow up being equal to their peers as well. So I think we've got a lot of allies out there that, you know, we may not recognize. Um, I have seen a lot of women, you know, obviously the military forces you to not necessarily wear bright lipstick or bright nail polish or, you know, be super, super uh, girly, but in your own way, in your own personality, if you're just be yourself and (laughs) that femininity will come out. So. And it's also interesting that the grooming standards are, are, are changing. It seems like it's becoming um, less stringent and less strict mm-hmm. towards women and yep. towards minorities. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And again, I think it's more aligning with allowing people to be themselves um, while still keeping, you know, some sense of standard <laughs> for the military. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So, um, so what I wanted to do, uh, Trish, and I, I, I wanted to ask, what, where, where do we need to go from here? I guess, uh, you know, regarding, you know, what's some of these uh, areas that we need to work on here for the future, um, and then, you know, really, what can, what can a person who's, you know, maybe listening to this podcast, who's a senior in high school or a junior in high school, you know, what can they expect? And what do we still need to, what, what are the issues we're working on right now, you think, as far as trying to continue to improve, uh, you know, the experience for women in the armed services? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, looking back at the, the statistics for the service academies, I did a little research. Um, and when I graduated in 2011, it was about 20, 22% women for uh, the Air Force Academy. And it's been pretty much in line with that with the other service academies too. And traditionally, the Naval Academy has been a, l- a little bit ahead of the curve. But getting uh, higher percentages of women into the class, into each class, into the service academies and into ROTC, so the recruiting aspect of that, um, I was very excited to see that the class of 2024 has over 30% women for both Annapolis and for the Air Force Academy. So that is 
trending upwards. And I think this is the first year for both schools that they have achieved that. And that's very exciting. Um, another aspect that I would would say is just having the conversation about, you know, sexual harassment and, and sexual assault. Um, sexual harassment, it seems like in in the past, it was a lot less common for any reports of it to be taken seriously. And now it's not, it's not really a joking matter anymore, um, period. And there's less, it seems like there's less of a stigma for people to report sexual harassment and sexual assault. Um, with the sexual assault aspect, there are really good programs now to support women to either keep reports confidential or to um, actually go ahead and publicly, you know, prosecute um, whoever committed the assault. So that it looks like there's more people actually reporting, but but really, or more assaults are, are happening. But really, it's women are becoming more comfortable actually talking about what's what's going on. And I think the more that women are comfortable to discuss that, the less uh, it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's men and women alike, I think. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely applies is, to men too. Is this more of an enlisted or is this across the board enlisted officer? Well, I would say with the, the service academies, um, just because it's more of a college environment, it's more prevalent than, than you in the junior officer ranks. But you're, uh, to your point, it's definitely prevalent in the enlisted ranks as well. Yeah. And then the, I guess with the academies, um, you know, I, I think, incre- I think you, you hit it right on the head, Trish. I think, you know, if you can increase the percentages, the tolerance for, you know, goes down even more. Um, so it's kind of creating that environment. I mean, would you, I, I guess, you know, I know with ROTC, I think the percentages in ROTC are probably about the same, I would think, or maybe even higher in some ROTC programs. I don't know, Val, when you were with at uh, Ohio State, was it, what percentage were females in uh, in your ROTC program? Um, it was definitely obviously less than 50%. It was, I would, mm-hmm. I would probably say around 20 or so. Um, and, you know, and they all went to go all different types of um, jobs in the service. So I think, again, I was one of um, three that graduated uh, in my year group um, out of probably about 10 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think the percentage has gone up since you, you've mm-hmm. been there, I think, yeah. is that, that that has been the case. What, what about my earlier point about how the Air Force may be the most advanced service. Do you, you, you both agree with that or do you you think I might be off base there? I think we're biased, but I would agree with that. <laughs> this is just anecdotally from my, you know, because I'm, you know, both Trish and I are helping, you know, Academy and, and ROTC, you know, candidates through this process. And I can tell you that um, just in my little slice of who I'm working with, it's, it, it just seems like the it just seems like there's, I think there's a view out there in, in the general public that, that, you know, that if you have a daughter, you, you might want to steer towards, uh, towards the air force. Well, for me, I like the, the air force has a 
technology background, and that was always very attractive to me as someone who was interested in the math and sciences. Uh, I I just felt like there was more of an opportunity to use my mind, and uh, to to use that as since that is one of my strengths. But I also think the quality of life is is better for everybody. It's not just for women. Um, you know, they, there is the commentary that every Air Force base has a golf course (laughs) (laughs) and and it's true (laughs) almost, (laughs) but the, across the board for everyone, the, the quality of life is, it seems to be higher. I think they just spend more money per capita, uh, on their people, on infrastructure, base infrastructure. Um, it's what is, what is the saying that I've always heard? Um, Mission first, people always is is one of the common uh, phrases that I've heard, and it, I think it, it is ap- very applicable. Uh, there is a the, this understanding in most units that I've been in that you know the the mission isn't going to get done without people, so it's important for us to support them, to support their families, to be able to give them um, the things that they need to live. Uh, happy, healthy life in and out of work. Yeah. And I'd like to also just say that, um, yes, I think, uh, you know, in, in regards to parents steering their children to, toward one service or another, here's the other consideration is, you know, the, the student themselves or the person themselves really needs to decide why they want to be in the military mm-hmm. um, and what they want to contribute uh, you know, even on a broad scale, because um, I'd rather have the right people enter the right service and make the change they want to see, because you can make that change, because that's how we've made such strides up to this point, than be afraid of entering that service because maybe it's not the way, you know, you think it should be, or you have some perspective on it, um, that's you a know, great perspective. a preconceived notion, uh, because the young people are the ones who are going to be making those changes and creating the service that uh, it needs to be for the next 20 years or plus. And if you think about it, women have really, I mean, only been in service academies for 41 years now or, or graduated, you know, in the, in the service. So what, 45 years now, that's very, becoming. you know, they were long strides before and now they're becoming shorter and shorter to where, you know, people are paying attention, not only to women, but, um, you know, I think every service now has a diversity and inclusion, some kind of, uh, office that's kind of looking at that, um, based on just even this past year's events. So going back to your uh, original question, Rob, about, uh, what we would say to high school juniors and seniors, I think that ties in perfectly with Val's point of, we need you, um, our country needs you. You know, if you are thinking about serving and, um, it really, I, even though we've been plugging the air force a lot, the Navy, the army, the Marine Corps, they all are great options depending on your personality and, and what you're looking to contribute. Um, just, just the, for me personally, I chose the air force because of the fact that I wanted to become a leader uh, I enjoyed leadership in high school sports. I really, I found a lot of enjoyment in that and I wanted to fly. I didn't end up flying, but my intelligence career was uh, a wonderful experience. 
And I definitely got the leadership opportunities and unique opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten outside of the service. And yeah, those if Trish, if I can chime in too, I mean, I didn't get into the service like it was probably more selfish than anything. I just I wanted to fly. I wanted to travel. And I knew because my parents had been in the service that they had friends all over the world. And I thought that that sounded perfect. <laughs> so it wasn't until I had been in and, you know, even to my first deployment when I realized, you know, that I had actually become patriotic <laughs> yeah. and that it was for something bigger than just me. Um, so, you know, I think your perspective changes as you as you get in and go through and realize kind of who you want to be and what your true goals are. Um, and I got to travel and I got adventure and the air force gave me everything I wanted. And I think a lot of those services can, can do that. And then you get, you know, to what you thought was your goal and you turn around and say, well, what now? <laughs> what's, what's next? You know, <laughs> definitely. So if you are a high school junior or sophomore and you're a woman and you're thinking about joining, applying to a service academy, uh, I think one of the best things that you can do is to attend one of the summer seminar programs at one, two different service academies. And you can start that process. Um, now is the time of year to do it. And it gives you a really good insight into, are you going to fit into that service academy? And then also, um, very, very much so recommend talking to officers, to other female officers in each service. So if you don't know what might the right fit be for you, just go out and, and uh, I guarantee that junior military officers in each of the branches, especially women, would be happy to talk to you and share their experiences with you. And you can kind of find out if your values align with each branch and, and what you're looking for. So that would be my recommendation. Do you have any recommendations, Val? Um, yep. I think, again, yeah, like you said, just um, keep an open mind and try to think big picture because, you know, sometimes we get so narrowed in. I want to be a... F-22 pilot, and I'm not going to be happy with anything else. Um, really, what are you looking for out of the next 20 years of your life? And, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? Um, and and if you like a challenge, uh, and that's really what drove me a lot of the times too, is I just, I wanted a challenge. I wanted someone to push me. And um, you definitely get that with the military. So if, if you think you're going to coast and just sit behind a desk or something like that, then it's probably not for you. But like Trish said, just talk to some folks and, uh, you know, gauge your interest level. And I'd say go for it. You can always say no later. <laughs> nothing's in stone until you sign on the dotted line, you know? That's true. And even after you sign on the dotted line, nothing's in stone until you go to class the first day of your junior year at a service academy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And being, uh, being the old uh, person here in this group of three, I can tell you from my perspective, being 54 years old, um, you know, I know that, you know, as a pilot, you need to, you know, give more than four years or five years with, you know, for either ROTC or, or the service Academy, but that just goes and goes by in a flash and you're 27 years old or 26 years old. And you're, you know, you can get on with your life if you make the decision not to stay in. So, you know, um, it's such, it can be such a, you know, meaningful part of your life, but it doesn't necessarily have to be your whole life. 
Absolutely. And as an example, my dad was a Navy fighter pilot, decided to get out, became a airline pilot. And then that was when Eastern Airlines went under and now he's an ER doctor. So you can be many, many things in your life. <laughs> Does he so know? He went he to medical to school. He, he went did. to medical school. At, yes, wow. He did. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. So he's uh, so he, so he's not a flight surgeon, and I have to, I'm just nope. <laughs> That's good. So hey, I and a separate when so when is the uh, Navy and the Army going to get a female secretary of uh, secretary of their service? I mean, what is this with Air Force five female s- secretaries of the Air Force and the Army and the Navy zero? What's what's that all? About? Lord knows. I don't get it. I mean, I, it doesn't. I mean, I think we need to make some forward progress here in that regard also. So I'm hoping that the new administration uh, maybe thinks thinks through that a little bit more too, because I think, I mean, Trish, I mean, when you mentioned that, you know, mentioned that in, the, in that's one, that's one that jumped out at me. Doesn't that send a signal to, uh, to the service? Yeah, it does. It says a lot about the direction that the service is heading. So I, you know, if, and if you look at the overall numbers, uh, the army's at 19% uh, women in in the officer corps, the Navy's also at 19%, the Marine Corps is at 8% and the Air Force is at 21%. So I think the Marine Corps needs to get on board. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. But I mean, uh, so I, I just had to get that in there before the end of this podcast here, just to, again, you know, I I know, you know, being an army person, um, you know, that, yeah, I want to put the, of course, the army in the best light, but, um, you know, it's, it's just really great to get, you know, both of your, your perspectives on, on all of this and just really, really, um, Really, really interesting. So, I guess just to conclude here, is there any uh, final thoughts, uh, Val and Trish, about you know, kind of about all this and and sort of you know the future? I would say that our future leaders are out there right now. Future women leaders are out there right now, and maybe one of them will join West Point or Annapolis and then get out and become a female civilian leader. And that could be whoever our listeners are. So I'm excited for the future. And, and hopefully this has um, given some insight into what uh, service academy life is like. Yep. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of people turn around and say, oh, I could never do that. But as we well know, uh, you just you put your mind to it and you absolutely can do it. So don't let your mind be the thing that um, turns you away from going for a challenge that you think you could never do. Um, yes. Okay. Well, great. Well, it was Val, it was great to have you on the podcast and Trish, thanks uh, as always. And uh, we'll see you next time. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gain Service Academy Admission Podcast. Connect with us at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to, to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.